We are rolling. Well, welcome right into the studio. It's Josh Carey, the hidden entrepreneur. Good to see you, to be seen, to be visible, to show up. Speaking of showing up, <laughs> David Tatera. Good to see you. Good to see you, Josh. It's I, an honor to be here. I really appreciate this conversation. There's so much, as I've been learning about you, it's almost more like I'm learning about myself. Really? Well, yeah, really. There are some so many themes yeah. that your, your, your recent book, I mean, you have several books, mm -hmm. so it's applicable to say your, your recent book, uh, Journey to Joy, Journey to Joy, available anywhere you get your books. On Amazon, go check it out. I was reading it and I'm like, I think I, think I, I wrote this, like literally all that you experienced. I, I didn't even, when I asked you to be a guest on the show, I had no idea uh, what I, what I, I like, I tell my guests that I like to go as deep as they'll allow because in my more current iteration of life, I've become fascinated with death. And I know you have a history in that industry. We'll yes, get, I do. We'll get into that. Yes, your your family um, was part of the, the funeral business. There are three generations. I mean, it's and it still exists. Wow. So it's it's run by my dad now and by my my brother. And you've avoided it, however, by all lengths of any possibility. I have avoided <laughs> that world for I guess it's just a smart reason because it was too too heavy for me to want to step into. You said that in um, being driven to middle school, you would be driven by your father uh -huh. in a hearse, literally a hearse. And it did you no good in the friends category. Well, it didn't do any great good, good for me at all because, you know, at that time being, you know, just picked on and bullied, you know, showing up in a hearse doesn't really, you know, help the situation <laughs> and I, I know i wrote this in the book it's i said that as a joke you know sometimes we had a third person in the car which mm -hmm. was a corpse in the hearse while my father was driving me to school so it always felt like i was arriving in a sad environment hmm. you know did he have any like what was he compassionate about no. it no he didn't see no. it was just what he had to do and did it he was programmed because his father was a, a mortician, mm. he owned the funeral home. My father took it over. My brother now is running it. And now um, my my nephew is going to be joining the, the, the business. It's their life. Like it, mm. for them, it is their life. They talk about it nonstop. They're very comfortable with it. They tell you things that probably are not appropriate to be heard at a dinner table or amongst friends or strangers. And I never understood that. I never really understood why there was this fascination to share death mm. on a daily level. So how do you feel about the concept of and conversation of death today? Not good. Still. Yeah, well, I talk about this all the time. It's interesting. I just had this conversation uh, last week. I was with my husband and my girls and we were on vacation and we were talking about, God, you know, I never really finished my will. And... Joey said to me, well, why did you not finish your will? I said, because of death and because of the understanding that I had to figure out, do I want to be buried, cremated? All of those kind of simple questions, mm -hmm. which are hard ones to answer. I was incapable of literally making a decision. And my will has sat 
for probably seven years uncompleted because of the surrounding of death that I have lived my entire life that I can remember. So you grew up that way. Uh, like we said, there was uh, bullying and just exclusion. And I know at its core, I I felt the same way. I, I felt very alone and isolated growing up. And I know we were talking about this. I got bit by the acting bug mm -hmm. in eighth grade. I love how you wrote, there was a line in your book that just cracked me up. You wrote, middle school should be illegal. <laughs> and I love that because yeah. it's so true. It it's like, true. yeah, middle school. Why do you say middle school should be illegal? Well, I feel like everything bad comes out at the same time. And you're like, you know, I was like a really small statured kid and I clearly was not, you know, a sports kid. I was, you know, Guilty. I was a geek in band, a geek in drama, all the things that, you know, anyone that's looking to pick on someone, you know, raise my hand. I'm the one that got picked on. Um, and I, I, I say picked on bullied. I mean, I mean, literally, I, I, I said in my book and as I wrote it, I said I armored myself up every day to go to school so I can protect myself um, from the people around me that were making me feel less than I was. How I, I get choked up over this because it really hits home. How does someone like you, how does someone listening in who knows this emotional path all too well, how have you gone from there to here? You, by every right, can be described as a success. You were able to dig yourself out by all means, any means. Today, you're... Your credit lists are extraordinary. Your accomplishments are admirable. First of all, do you feel that way? I do now. I do feel proud and really um, honored for all the accolades and all the work that I've done and all the success I have. And it's really interesting that you're bringing this conversation up. Last night, I, I suffer from you know, all the things that many people suffer. So with anxiety and with the inability to fall asleep and mm. insomnia, all, all of those things. Last night, I just decided to pick my cell phone up on the side of my bed and I, 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 I saw a new email come in and I opened it up and it was someone that had read my book. And she decided to thank me um, through a response, which was a video. Mm -hmm. And I listened to it, it was long, and she was someone that is a, a mentee of my mentorship program. And I just didn't expect it from her because she's so sort of laid back and kind of just very standoffish. And she said she was so overwhelmed by the book that I wrote. And not because it was me, but because it was the strength and courage of the things that I shared, not for myself, but for other people that needed to hear what I had experienced. And mind you, I just turned 57 years old two days ago, mm. and it's now that I actually feel like I'm in the perfect place that I should be. It's now that I feel confident, only because after all those years of all those things I've gone through, which everyone has stories to tell, everybody has an issue or sure. a challenge, and being, a, being able to sit during COVID is when I chose to write the book. I wrote that book during COVID because to me, I needed to figure out why I wasn't feeling fully satisfied. And I went back to my world, back to my life, 
and just pieced it together. Not an easy process. So you, at this current time in your life, this age, these days, this is really when you felt better and confident? Like last year, five years ago, three years ago, still iffy? And, and what was that iffy? Um, during my career of doing television, I played the role of having such joy. I love that. Right? Yeah. But I didn't. And I even wrote a chapter about how my fair wedding saved my life. Mm -hmm. Because the, 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 what I was doing for other people that needed to feel better made me feel better. And then when that all ended and that was over and I decided to step back from being a television career, having a television career, excuse me, I realized that I, I didn't have joy at all. Not from the beginning of my life that I can remember to the point of where I was when I started this book. It was the book that when I wrote it, when I completed it, joy became actually a realistic moment for me. At 56, 57 now, 56 yeah. when I finished the book. So here I am at this age, so late in life. By the way, oh. it shouldn't take us that long. Go ahead. Tell None of more. us should be taking forever to figure out what happiness and joy, not success. Success is not the equation to joy, okay. but success helps, right? It helps us feel better because it makes us feel powerful. It makes us feel like we're accomplished. But behind all of that, there is this story of who we are that we choose not to be. We become someone else, especially if we're in the industry like ourselves and, you know, talent or you know, being creative, we tend to become certain ways with certain people, mm. never just the same person all the time. And now I'm finally at a place where I'm me. I'm just me. The person I actually feel comfortable in being. That's a lot. That was a long journey, a long journey to get to joy. Oh my goodness. Uh, so much, so much here. So the the journey to joy, so we have joy, we have happiness, we have success. Are those self-defined? I don't know if they're self-defined. I, I think, it for me, that would be too complicated to describe for myself, for me to understand it. I think that, that with so much pain and so much confusion and so much bullying and so much of everything that had gone through my life through multiple people doing it to me. And I don't blame them. Mm. I don't. Mm. I take responsibility. I hold it in my hand. I bring it to my heart and I say, listen, I needed to do shit that I should have done, but I wasn't strong enough to do it because I didn't have the support system that was around me. What's interesting is, is that after I published this book, the people that knew me had no idea of where I was in that dark place. And they were sort of stunned. And we're talking actually family members and cousins and deep, deep, deep friends. And they were like, you were going through this silently? For decades. Yes, for decades. And nobody knew. Because I acted as if I wasn't that way. My brand is the hidden entrepreneur, right? Yeah, I go. get that, right? We hide. And we were having that conversation earlier. Mm -hmm. um, uh, my my schooling, um, I, I, I got bit in eighth grade by that acting bug, like I said. And the only, the only straight A's I got was in performing arts class. Right. And that's where I hid. And that's where tears of a clown, right? Just like me searching for that external approval until... 
Um, my children, and we were talking about this too, mm-hmm. um, I have a nine-year-old daughter, seven-year-old son. Early on in their younger lives, when I still was nowhere near the person I knew I was capable of being, I'm, I'm sure you can relate when when there's nobody else, especially children, let's say, around, we're willing to beat ourselves up and even beat up on the ones we love and vice versa. But for me at least, and I know the same for you, when a child comes around who's yours, that was enough for me to say, oh my goodness, I can't be this, I'm so much better than this. It was evident and obvious that now is the time to really make the change. So do you think that people need to find whatever that is for themselves and figure out that new path? I don't think people take the time at all mm. to figure out who they are, where they are, what they need, and what needs to change. I think we're all moving too fast in life. We're being surrounded by people that sometimes are wanting something from us that we can't deliver. Mm. And it is our role to... to you know, get to that joy, but it takes time. But what we need to do is we need to find a very simple, short, small group of people that we know are our bodyguards, emotional bodyguards. And when you collect those people, those are who the people, those are the people that you go to for help, for guidance, for direction, to tell you, no, bad idea. No, try it this way. And when you've got that small group of people, because I've always wanted to be surrounded by an abundance of people. Like if I throw a party when I was 30, 40, 50, I had to have a lot of people around me. When we had our wedding, we had 350 people at our wedding here in Los Angeles. I said to Joey, my husband, I said, I don't like 75% of these people, let alone do I remember their names. But to me, more people around me made me feel as if I was a better person. How'd that work out? It didn't work out at all. Not at all. It doesn't work <laughs> out that way. You have to look in the mirror every morning and say to yourself, you are comfortable with who you are at this moment. The, the phrase I have begun telling myself in those moments <clears throat> as well is about validation, self-validation. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you agree that so many of us lead with, oh, please like me. If you just show me an ounce of likable attention, then I can use that and find it within myself to like myself. And maybe that process will help me. But I've learned it's the exact opposite. It is. I need to validate my damn self before you even give me a look in the direction. You're going to be detracted probably if I'm not validating myself because there's no connection. There's nothing for you to, to latch on to. Here's the trick. If, like you just said, if we validate ourselves, we don't need validation from anybody else. It's that simple, but it's super hard. You spent three decades looking for the external validation. Was that part of this? I think I've, I've spent my entire life even from the beginning stages of my life, completely not given the tools from the people that were around me. I just didn't come from that kind of family. It, it, it wasn't as if my parents and my mom and dad were horrible people. My mom, my best friend, which mm. is a chapter in the book, yeah, um, gave me the ability to say, David, you can do anything that you want because I know you can. 
That was a common mantra that my mom made. And she wasn't a very educated woman. She was a housewife. She loved her children. Um, she went through a lot of battles and challenges through her life, and she's still hanging on right now, which is sort of just shocking to me. Mm. 17 months in a hospital bed and still laying there, hoping someday that she'll just move. I want her to move on. I need her to move, move on and just get to that next place. Um, she was the only one, only one, that gave me the opportunity to know I could do anything. Speaking of doing anything, help paint the picture, and then we'll double back into your public career. Uh, you've, you've spent years on television in the spotlight. Give me a list of those credits. Sure. Um, it's a, it's a really interesting story. So I, when I wrote my first book in 2001, um, I got a phone call from a, a senior producer at The View on ABC, and um, they wanted me to come on to The View to do a, 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 um, an appearance. Barbara Walters era, by the yeah, way. Yeah, it was the original, it was the original <laughs> crew, yeah. um, which were very difficult. <laughs> and uh, I thought, it's kind of like, um, I haven't really done television at all, at all. And I said, yes. Kind of nuts to say yes, but I thought I was going on to promote the book that I wrote. But in, in reality, they wanted me to, to create five drinks for five crazy ladies who'd stop, don't stop talking in five minutes. <laughs> to me, that was a complete impossible task to, to, to succeed with. Because you're not a bartender, no, first of all. No, <laughs> I'm not a bartender. I'm a party planner and designer. So... <laughs> You know, I, I went home, I practiced, I stopwatched it, I made it, I, I, I did. Right. It, I went on that show like I had been on television for a hundred years. It was flawless. That flipped my life upside down because I became a regular on The View for five years as an entertaining expert for them. And then eventually Star Jones hired me to do her wedding, which became a big thing on television on The View and on ABC, which was not for the good, and some some parts of it were for the good for me. And I didn't understand or know or realize that Bill Getty, who created The View with Barbara Walters, was carefully watching me mm. and building you know, a sizzle reel for me to pitch to other networks because he wanted to do a show with me. And one day he just said, you're ready. I'm like, ready for what? <laughs> We're going out. We're going to about. dinner. What's happening? Yeah. So he, we, we pitched the show. It sold. It, it, we, we did the party planner on the Discovery Channel for um, 65 episodes was the order, which is massive. That's significant. Yeah. He said, are you ready for boot camp? I said, what are you talking about? He goes, they want to do four shows, but changed their mind to 65. I said, Bill, <laughs> I can't do one show. So how do we do this? And he sat me down and he taught me everything he taught Barbara Walters because he wow. produced Barbara Walters with all of her specials and everything that she had done on ABC. Um, and I learned from the best. So as I moved forward in my career, that show ended, went one season, didn't go further. Then I was um, kind of like, you know, I don't need to do TV anymore. I guess I wasn't good enough. It didn't work out. Was that painful? Yeah, it was a little like I was a little disappointed. I was kind of sad about it. But you were still a little uh, struggling inside with, right? Because you didn't overcome all that for quite a while. Correct. Correct. And then... <laughs> I got a phone call from another network, which ironically was four blocks south of my my offices in New York, same street, 
and wanted to see me and pitch me a new TV show. And I said to them, um, actually I didn't say to them, I said to my publicist at the time, I'm not interested in doing TV anymore because I, I felt like I failed, right? So I'm like, if you fail, how do you fix it? You just don't do it again. So they called once, they called twice, they called three times. On the fourth call, I said, for God's sakes, let me just go over there and see what the concept is. And they sold me a show that was brilliant, beautiful, mm. loving, emotional. It was just a wonderful experience. And I think I did um, multiple hundreds of episodes. What a show? series of my fair wedding to my to celebrations to unveiled i mean it just had a ongoing rolling success and it was pretty magical for me i love the idea of what do you do when you fail you refrain right but we we kind of know that that's not the formula no so so many of us will fail and then to protect the pain will avoid but what needs to happen? You need to jump back in over and over again. You, 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 well, I didn't. I didn't jump back in when it was all over. I kind of sort of stepped back. I think because I had done so much television, I was realizing that, and I just had a child, my first daughter was born in part of that series of doing TV. And I was feeling like I was you know, bouncing back and forth from television to being a dad, a new dad with a, with a, with a you know, just confusion and it was hard. It was really, really hard. So um, I just didn't want to go back to television. I didn't want to do it. And then I got the bite again, got the bug and did another couple shows and loved it and continued to do it. But I haven't been on TV for a while now. And I think it's actually something that I think is a good thing for me. Um, gives me a chance to be more focused on my children, focused on my life, focused on who I am and do better for other people. The the C word, celebrity. Mm -hmm. Hate it. The F word, famous. Hate it. When did you, in your life, for better or worse, <laughs> when did you feel, oh my God, I'm famous, or I'm known, or I'm a celebrity, or I'm a personality? How did that start coming about? And was there, were you going, honestly, childhood teens i'll show them this is what's going to cure me like any of that no none of that came up but i never wanted to be referred to as talent or a celebrity it irritated the hell out of me i always said please don't call me talent i cannot stand it <laughs> and then when i was referenced as a celebrity i didn't understand it yeah so i i just i i accepted it mm -hmm. i accepted it and it became kind of fun I mean, it was, you know, it's kind of a kind of a cool thing, right? But it doesn't define who I am. The person you see on television isn't the person that you see in real, in real life. Um, I am that same person that cares in each of the episodes that I, that mm. I created. But I don't want to leave the studio or leave the moment of production and walk out the door and be referred to as, oh my God, that's David Tutero from that show. I, I kind of don't like that. I kind of want to walk out and just be me without anyone knowing that I have challenges with that. Hmm. Challenges with feeling as if I'm elevated, um, standing on a box better than somebody else, hmm. have privileges that I shouldn't have. I don't think that's fair, but it does come with the world of entertainment. We all know that. 
So that was really difficult for me to do. So I, I, I do say, and I do write in my book, don't call me talent. Don't call me a celebrity. Just call me David. It's beautiful. I love that these days you've, you've gone from there to here. You've overcome what you personally needed to. What, were, what was some of the internal work that was mandatory? For me, um, during the process of filming all those shows, um, not taking it so seriously. Being more focused on the person I was making an event for on the television shows being more focused on some of the traumatic stories that they had gone through in their lives and giving them celebrations that made them more positive. So for me, I shifted it. I shifted it not about me, and I made it always about whomever it was that I was creating celebrations for on the shows, on the episodes. And that gave me this just wonderful feeling of love, kindness, caring, and the ability to change somebody else's life. That's always been my goal. My goal has always been about trying to find a way to make somebody else feel special. I'll share, I'll share this, which is not in the book, and I think it's really interesting because my husband finds it fascinating, and he also says that you have to be very careful and watch out what you do because I can be in an environment and find that one person that's really feeling challenged or sad or, or confused or suffering with anxiety and I'll walk up to them and I'll ask them a question unrelated to what I'm seeing to shift their energy. You know, making sure that if someone is not having a great moment, you simply find a way to give them a great chance to feel better about themselves. It's simple. It's fast. You know, making them smile. You know, having a conversation, just asking them about their day or, you know, can you believe us, you know, how can you believe the weather's so wonderful today? Little silly things can shift the energy of some stranger that can leave that moment and feel better about themselves. And guess what that does? It makes you feel better as well. We're talking about connection. Yeah. Genuine yeah. connection. Caring, caring, being aware, being aware that somebody needs a little help. How does the person listening, and we sort of touched upon this a little bit, that they are struggling in their their way, lonely, sad, anxious, depressed from a history of whatever they went through, what is what is the first step for them to begin a healing process? I think they have to understand why they're feeling the way they feel. For me... Again, at, at this point in my career and my at, at my age, um, it took me years, you know, going through. I mean, I think I could list ten therapists in my life. I mean, I must. I think I've gone to ten therapists, and it just never was working. And mm. it wasn't working because I wasn't telling the truth. So when wow. you don't tell the truth, you don't get results, and it was frustrating. And then I wound up going on meds and. Meds were really not doing the best for me. They were sort of shifting things in a really chaotic way. And just because I'm just driven by anxiety, like nonstop, you know, you, you just have to find ways to calm yourself down. It isn't until literally the past year that I am the calmest and the most focused and the most connected to me and to the people I care so much about only because I think half of it 
is because I wrote my book. Mm. And more importantly, it gave me the perspective of why and where I was during my entire life. I was never aware of it. I just was like, you know, skating through life. Self-awareness. I've, yeah. I, I've, I've found that several years, a handful, maybe five, seven years is when I really took a stand uh, from the birth of my two children and said, wait, wait, I know I'm better than this. I've, I've wanted to be a father. I can't go down this path. I know how this is going to end if 18 years down the road, I'm now an empty nester. Ooh, that'll be a tough pill to swallow mm -hmm. knowing I can't go back to right any wrong. So, hey, Josh, you're still here. Make a change. Do, and then that's what it was. I know uh, your husband Joey talks about small changes, big results. That's that's what I've embraced for for all these years. Just these little tiny changes that you you make, and then they grow on on themselves. You also spoke about not blaming others and feeling that you've overcome these less than ideal situations in your past. And I feel that too. It's sometimes a tough pill for some to swallow that it's about personal responsibility for oh. better or worse, right? Whatever happens, it's in our favor and advantage to say, okay, this is on me. Let me figure out what I did, didn't do. And now more importantly, what I can do now to get through this. You said it perfectly. Good. I, I mean, that is literally how I, I, what I believe in now. Let's talk about the mentorship, right? Because you're not just your Wikipedia, a list of credits, which are, which are impressive, by the way. And uh, they're not all accurate. They left some things out. We need to get Wikipedia up to, up to grade. Oh, is that what, what, what happened? What, what do we know? No, they left things out. I was yeah. just being silly. But I they have things that I would like to have in there isn't, but it's fine. Fair enough. Uh, so uh, DTE, right? Yes, the David Dutier experience, we birthed that about eight to, or nine years ago. Yeah. And that is a, con a educational conference that goes in different locations um, where we bring people in and they get a chance to have three wonderful days with myself and Joey and our educators that we curate on the educational stage, not just in the world of event planning or design. It's motivational, um, a lot about what we're talking about today how to elevate who you are, how mm. to feel comfortable in your own skin. Um, and then we have three evenings, which are beautifully designed with great design creations and uh, cuisine and epic entertainment. So we allow our, our attendees to arrive knowing enough, but leaving knowing so much more about who they are, not just as professionals, but also as human beings. And it's, I always say, make this analogy. I always say it's like going to school and going to church at the same time. And people leave their life, their lives have been changed when they come back home. It's wonderful. Why did you go into this? Uh, because I want to make other people have the success that they deserve to have if they work hard at it. And some people in our industry, the world of events, don't have the fundamental tools because there's not enough educators in our industry that are willing to share their mm. success. I oh. go out and I tell everybody what to do. If it's right for you, try it. This is what worked for me. These are my failures. Listen, failures become successes, right? I always say struggle equates to success, if you're aware. You know, chaos 
confuse, creates confusion. All of those things get in our way, especially for people in this industry of creating celebrations. And giving them those tools has really elevated them and they've turned into much more, not only creative, but more financially successful. That's our goal, is to give other people the ability to be successful. You have an event coming up soon. How can someone attend? So the David Duterte Experience on uh, September 18th, 19th, and 20th will be in on the island of Grand Cayman. I've heard of it. Um, it's going to be pretty spectacular. We're very excited about it. Um, so you can go to uh, the David Duterte website. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a link on top. We have uh, um, promotional opportunities there for you as well. And we'd love for anyone to join. You do not have to be in the industry of events. Um, we open it up to anybody in business, anybody who just needs a place to come and learn and a place to come and feel better about themselves. Uh, yes, please. Right. <laughs> um, I want to bring uh, Joey um, into the conversation um, theoretically for a minute. Sure. You've you've mentioned him. We've spoken about him a little bit. Um but he's he's responsible for a lot that we see. Is is that true? He is. He just made a a, a a post which I loved. He's the architect of the company, and I thought, God, what a brilliant way to sort of show how he creates the foundation. Uh, Joey is very um, analytical. He's very he's very he thinks his processes very clearly before executing. Um, he's just a smart man with a kind heart and a kind mind. Um, and he makes it much easier for me to be able to be all over the place, trying to be creative and coming up with unique ideas. And he's sort of my, we are like a yin to our yang and we are also are incredibly opposite in personalities, but we meld beautifully together and we work well as husband, husband, and also partner in business. Not easy. Not easy, but you're but we pulling do it off it really well. Yeah, wow. You you believe that uh, energy and attraction, and that's how y- you may have found each other. Well, we found each other accidentally from two friends that said, "You need to meet this one, and you need to meet that one." And I, you know, I'm never in that world. I'm like, I, I need to see the person. <laughs> I need to understand the person. So I actually avoided him for about a month and a half. He lived in Arizona. I was living here in California. And I finally picked up the phone and made a call to him and said, you know, let's just have a chat. We talked for 45 minutes on the phone. I was on Santa Monica Boulevard in California. Mm. And then a couple of weeks later, I let it go. And I said, why don't you go out to California? Let's just get a chance to say hello and have drinks. And that just started a relationship, which is now 10 years. Amazing. Before we part ways, um, I, I want to get your input on fashion, if I might. Yes. You you feel that um, if if we're in one sort of mood, just putting on a different outfit can help. It can. It, it's it's such an easy way to just turn around, go upstairs, go in your closet, put something else on, look at a color that might make you feel happier, and just change your energy and your mood. I, I say that by, I even do that by just getting in the car and going for a drive for five minutes. And I'm equ- not equating it to fashion, but I'm saying there are ways to shift where you are. If you're in a dark place, if you're in a sad place, if you're mm-hmm. in a confusing place, don't get stuck there ever. In the way of chapter one of my book, I talk about, I, I wrote about 
how I looked in that mirror every single time I went on television and talked to myself to convince myself that I am worthy of this moment. I do that to this day. Did it in the rear view mirror of my car when I pulled up to your studio, looked in the mirror and looked at myself and said, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to do a really great job. Why? Because I can. You have to think that way. If you show up with all of the other bad pieces of your mind, you'll do an okay job maybe, but you won't make, maybe won't do a great job. It's, it's a tough conversation to be able to, I have found to, to really get to. I, I know we were talking about death, but for me, that has been what's been able to put my actions into perspective. Like, does it, it it'll all be fine. Like, we're here for a blip. Mm-hmm. We're here for a blip. You're going you're gonna to be on your deathbed or worse and then look back and say, mm, I mean, that, that, that regret is just terrible. So being able to find it within yourself to say, does that really matter? Should I really care what other people think or what other people might say if I do this? I've worked really hard. I know you have too. I do not look for other people's thought about who we are or what we're doing and if we're doing it right or wrong. And it's not that I don't care. It's that it's my choice and my decisions to make, some of which are wrong. Um, When you read my book, it's clearly in there in many chapters. And it's my chance to figure out how to be a better person and to be able to step forward with feeling confident and leading with happiness. Now listen, it doesn't happen every day. None of us are perfect. None of us have the ability to walk through with a world of positivity, happiness, and you know, sunshine, rainbows, and candy. It, it just, it's not a real, reality of life. But if we are aware of how we feel at that very single moment, there's something that we need to do, and only we can do it for ourselves, to shift where we are. Otherwise, we will be stuck. And trust me, I have been stuck sometimes for weeks, sometimes for months, and can't get out of it. So you can't depend on other people to get you into a place of happiness. It's our role to do that ourselves. Did I stick with my promise? There you go, David Tutera, genius. Beautiful inside and out. Thank you tremendously for taking the time and opening up like this. Really, really appreciate you coming in. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, by the way.